Hello friends, this is Matt, and this is Something From Everything, a podcast about embracing meaning and discovering wisdom through telling better stories. And this story, this story comes out of a great trip. This past March, our family loaded up the minivan and embarked on a massive road trip through the states of Washington, Oregon, California, and Nevada. And one of the most memorable stops of the entire trip was Lava Beds National Monument, a national park just over the Oregon-California border. It was an exhilarating and terrifying experience, and I want to tell you all about it. I also want to tell you about an idea that has gripped me especially tightly recently, about our use of language and its creative possibilities for our life. This post is called A Narrow Space, and I hope you enjoy it. There are nearly 500 explorable caves at Lava Beds National Monument. On a recent visit, my family managed to see six of them. <laughs> the caves are helpfully divided up into categories based on the caver's experience and comfort with risk and narrow spaces. Category A, you can stand and walk fully upright at all times. Category B, you have to duck your head or bend your body around occasionally low ceilings. Category C, you will have to crawl or slither on your stomach for considerable sections. Category, I'm kidding, there is no category D and there is no category C for me either. Lava Beds National Monument is located just across the California-Oregon border, a national park of nearly 47,000 acres of rolling hills and desolate plains. On the long, winding drive into the park, you can see fields littered with Ignatius rock from the eruption of nearby Medicine Lake volcano thousands of years ago. Beneath the ground, lava tubes created most of these hidden caverns including Valentine Cave. Oh, Valentine Cave is a must-see, said the very passionate, uniformed ranger as he handed us a map and our massive, indestructible, and unpocketable flashlights. There was no deposit taken, only our solemn promise to return them at the end of the day. The entrance into Valentine was a short, winding path with a handful of switchback stairs leading into its gaping mouth. Immediately, the passage splits into two arcing tunnels, which later join together as the cavern narrows, descending deeper into the earth. You might imagine, as I did, that the cave's heart-like shape with bifurcating arching paths and slowly narrowing corridor might be the reason for its naming, but it turns out the cave was simply discovered on Valentine's Day in the 1930s, its heart-like shape completely serendipitous. But nearly a century later, it certainly had my heart beating faster. As our family continued down the corridor, and as the corridor continued to turn and descend, the darkness became increasingly hungry, completely devouring the light of both our dollar store headlamps and the flash of our phones. Only our loaned lanterns were able to shine a beam that reached the narrow walls. Our family of five walked together slowly, shoulder to shoulder. Out of necessity, we focused one flashlight beam above our heads 
and one at the ground directly in front of our feet. The slow, uneven drip of water gathered at the end of stalactites and occasionally would drip onto an outstretched arm or down our neck. In sections, the stalactites hung low enough to threaten to comb our hair or strike a careless forehead. Below our feet, the ground was wet, uneven, and littered with piles of rock from where sections of the roof had given way. The cave walls continued to narrow as we delved deeper still, until the walls beside us were nearly within reach. We stared unseeingly into the distance ahead, and the sloping floor and impenetrable darkness made it appear as if we were at the edge of a chasm. As if just ahead of us the ground simply dropped away. Perhaps it did. We never found out. One of our children asked us to turn around, and I was grateful to concede to their request. While each step into the cave had been apprehensive and cautious, our return steps were markedly lighter, buoyed with the security of a known and previously explored path. Soon enough, we could see the faint glow of reflected sunlight illuminating the edges of the narrow cave walls. As soon as we exited the cave, our eyes blinking blindly in the daylight, I found myself breathing in deeply, stretching my arms wide, and sinking into the deep relief of a wide open space. Really, the whole trip had been a stretch. A long, slow exhale after months of holding our breath. Despite the hours spent in a cramped minivan, despite the five of us tripping over each other in hotel and motel rooms in different locations every night, it felt expansive, luxurious. It felt wide open after a long time living in a narrow space. Along the considerable journey, we brought along Brene Brown's newest audiobook, Atlas of the Heart. Now, I've been a fan of Brene's research, presentations, and writings for a long time now, but this might be my favorite work of hers yet. Through mountain passes and desert plains, we listen to Brene compare and contrast 87 distinct and common emotions and the context in which we might experience them. The work is, of course, thoroughly researched and easy to understand and relate to. But for me, the most interesting aspect of the book remains the why. Why write a compendium of 87 distinct emotions? Because most of us can only identify and reach for three. Happy, sad, and angry. It doesn't take long for Brown to argue her case why this should concern us. If we can only identify three emotions, it limits not only our vocabulary, but our experiences as well. In my last post, I related Jonathan Merritt's concern that sacred words were disappearing from our common vocabulary. And really, his concern is the same as Brown's, that a diminished vocabulary results in a diminished life. That even if we are not religious, we might need words like forgiveness on our tongues, or else we forget the very human need to regularly forgive each other. The way we speak and 
think changes us and our world. Because language is not only descriptive, but prescriptive as well. I think a lot of us have been feeling like we have been living in a narrow space for a while now, corralled into these tight spaces by forces completely beyond our control. A pandemic, a threat of war, a climate emergency, an uncertain economic future. No one could fault us for feeling lost in that current darkness, for feeling claustrophobic with those walls closing in around us. In the face of this helplessness, Brown and Merritt's work reminds me that language is agency, for good or for ill. It is a double-edged sword in each of our hands. Inadequate language and poor mental constructs have the potential to close us in just as much as external realities or a physical space. But thoughtful, precise language? Well, that can open us up, lead us out of darkness, and show us realities that we were previously ignorant to. It is crucial that we realize the power of language to create and shape our world. Some language makes the world bigger, and some makes it smaller. Some language reduces others into tidy groups of us and them, while some reveals that everyone has a complex and hidden story. Some language peddles certainty, and some invites curiosity. As the rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel famously wrote, words create worlds. We have a crucial role in deciding what type of worlds we are creating. It's worth asking what language we are listening to, reading, and repeating. Are we becoming smaller or larger for it? Are we confining ourselves or freeing ourselves? Are we staying in any narrow spaces that we don't have to? The space that we find ourselves in is narrow enough. Maybe it's time to expand it. Well, friends, that's it. Episode 23 of the Something From Everything podcast, A Narrow Space. Thank you for listening. The music at the intro and playing now is All Star by Adrian Berenger, and at the end was Now or Never by Michael Vignola. All tracks are royalty-free, and you can find them through storyblocks.com. If you like this podcast, I'm truly honored. I would love it if you shared it with a friend or left me a review on Apple Podcasts or even just leave me a note. Let me know that you liked it. You can read the full text of all of my posts at somethingfromeverything.com and leave me your email there and I can let you know when I have something especially noteworthy coming up. Although, word of warning, I very rarely send anything out. You can also follow this podcast and see regular updates by following Something From Everything on Instagram or Facebook and you can see full videos of some of these recordings on Instagram or YouTube. Just be sure to search something from everything in quotations, otherwise I get lost in the shuffle. For now. 
If you're looking for even more podcasts to listen to, I have another very different podcast for you to check out. It's called Navigating a Resurrection, and it is a long-form conversation with people reflecting on how they put their life back together after a significant change. It's one I do with my very good friend Ronnie, and we have a different guest every episode. It's a very different beast than this podcast, but I like it a lot. Maybe you will too. You can find links to that show and everything I've mentioned here in the show notes. Finally, my friends, I hope that you are able to widen those narrow spaces we so often find ourselves in. I hope that you find agency when feeling helpless. I hope you know that your words and your interior constructs matter, both to you and to everyone around you. May you navigate those narrow spaces well and leave them behind when you are able. May you know that words create worlds as we all make something from everything. Thanks, friends. Talk again soon.